From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm watching. See you next time. Cut! Man, that was one of our best episodes of Cinemaholics ever. I agree, yeah. Man, we made some really incredible points, you know, like the energy between us was so strong and I gotta, I'm not just trying to pump you up. Well, you could not stop making me bust a gut. <laughs> you were just on fire yeah. this week, dude. Yeah, that was easily a high point for Cinemaholics. I just don't know how we're going to top it next week. Uh, I don't think we will. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's the matter? Is the DoorDash running late? Uh, I just got an email from Super Podcast Corporation. Oh, what does SPC want this time? Uh, it looks like they've hired some YouTuber to re-edit our podcast. Huh. They think it's too niche, and they want it to be more mainstream? Uh, okay. Well, how many changes are they going to make? Do I get to keep my mustache at least? I don't know, Well, uh, Nothing sacred. But hey, look. It's a corporation <laughs> with studio notes. I'm sure it'll only be a light touch. Two hours later. Will, that wasn't a light touch. Yeah, I just listened to the episode. They changed everything. How could they just recast me like that? I mean, Jane Levy was fine, to be honest. But my real concern is how they replaced all of our jokes and reviews with ads for Casper mattresses and Squarespace. We don't even use Squarespace. We use WordPress. John, I'm about to ask you a dangerous question. I'll answer it right now, Will. I, I honestly think the energy was pretty strong with Jane Levy on the show. Okay, well, besides that, what if... What if we released our own cut of the show in defiance of the Super Podcast Corporation? Will, you're scaring me again. What are you trying to tell me we do? I'm saying we release the John and Will cut. Uh, that's not very catchy. Also, we don't have all the soundtracks and the special effects. I mean, how are we going to possibly recreate the vision we never even finished in the first place? Oh, that's simple. Where's the one place you can go to complain as much as you want until you get it? Twitter? No, I mean, the place where everything you see on Twitter really starts. Reddit. Will social media an image of a tape recorder with clues to the fake veracity of a version of this episode that doesn't really exist? It's just rough audio. They'll complain and Super Podcast Corporation will give us $30 to put out another version of the show. Well, you're talking nonsense. You really think they're going to give us $30 for anything? Come on, there's no way this version of the show will ever even line up with what we originally had in mind. John, you know that. And I know that. Hell, most people will figure that out on their own. But a dozen more probably won't. Will Ashton. Will. Jane. Are you trying to tell me that if we make people believe that whatever far-fetched idea they had for an episode of Cinemaholics actually exists and is being kept from them despite loud protests, that we can get, what, ten people to complain? <laughs> no, John. I'm saying we get 20 people to complain. With 10 accounts each. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I occasionally write books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He's also the star of Zoe's extraordinary playlist. It's Will Ashen. Hello, hello. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. Send us an email anytime, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
And if you are interested in becoming one of our monthly supporters on Patreon, go check out patreon.com slash cinemaholics to see all our perks and tiers. All right, we have a lot to get to this week, starting with off topics. Will Ashton, do you like basketball? Sure. Do you like Michael Jordan? Um, yeah, no, I mean, who doesn't like Michael Jordan? Well, then, do you like documentaries about Michael Jordan and basketball? Because there's a new one out sure. that just finished its run, I think. It's called The Last yeah. Dance. Mm-hmm. And we are planning to do a bonus episode about it. I haven't watched The Last Dance yet, but we're thinking about bringing somebody on who really knows their stuff with Michael Jordan, uh, more of a sports person. So we'll keep you all posted on details for that. Hopefully that episode will be coming out soon. But we do have a bonus episode out right now that you go check out. We did a special episode about the Snyder Cuts this past week. With Dan Merle, uh, formerly of Screen Junkies, he actually just launched his own YouTube channel. So Sam Noland and myself talked to Dan in order to break down, okay, what is the Snyder Cut? When is it coming out? Is this thing really happening? What's the deal? And, you know, the short version of that news is that it's going to be coming out on HBO Max next year. So we broke down, okay, what in the world is going on? All of that's in the bonus episode. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, Will, you weren't there, but uh, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share about this Snyder Cut stuff before we move on? Uh, I'm sure you guys covered everything I'd have to say about it. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Although we did have a special thing where we tease, like, what are some other movie director's cuts we'd like to see? And, well, I don't know if you've listened to the bonus episode yet, but and we won't give it away, but Dan picked the same thing you did. So um, I let him know that Um, if you haven't listened to that yet, you will find out what it is pretty soon. I mean, I guess we're talking like superhero stuff. There's a couple answers, but like, I mean, we're talking about like the litany of directors who didn't get their vision (laughs) seen i mean there are several answers that you can say there but yeah i mean we covered quite a bunch in that Hmm. segment uh it's definitely a lot of fun definitely go check it out you guys talk about like billy bob thornton's all the pretty horses Uh, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty notorious one um that's nothing to do with superheroes but i know that's a pretty famous one from the 90s so i don't know i'm very curious if this can open up any floodgates but my guess is probably not but who knows All right. Well, uh, before we move on to our main review, uh, we want to do kind of a new thing we haven't done for Cinemaholics before. And I'm so excited that this one gets to be dedicated to a friend of mine in real life. So we are doing birthday shout outs now. And, you know, what's a birthday shout out? It's very simple. We shout out somebody who just had a birthday. How fun. Uh, So the first person we're going to do this for is my dear friend, Nicola. Nicola just turned 21. And super sad that we couldn't have like a birthday celebration with her in person. However, uh, a bunch of our friends actually did get to go, you know, socially distance outside of her house with face masks and everything and say happy birthday in person. And uh, obviously I wanted to do something kind of special for Nicola in a social distancing kind of way. So Nicola, this is your birthday shout out. So excited you're 21 now. Uh, again, can't wait to actually celebrate with you in person. That'll probably be a long time from now. Uh, but for now, yeah, I, I think this could be a fun way to celebrate listeners of the show. And if you have a birthday shout out you want to dedicate to somebody who maybe just had a birthday or has one coming up, hit us up via email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what she would like to say about the person. You know, I asked Nicola if she had anything we wanted to say on the air. She wanted me to just say something. So I'll just say something really nice. Nicola, you're one of my really good friends. Uh, we've known each other for only about like a year or so, and uh, you're just a very wonderful person. Uh, she's actually moving to South Africa pretty soon, moving back home to South Africa. So it might not see her for a long time. Everybody out here in the Bay Area is going to miss you quite a lot. 
Uh, but I'm sure you're going to have tons of fun out there as well and stay safe during the pandemic, which I would just say to her um, normally anyway. So um, happy birthday. And again, if you have a birthday shout out you would like to share with someone, including you, Will Ashen, I know there's plenty of people in your life who have birthdays, um, I believe. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, none this week, but yeah, I mean, I'll wish a ha- uh, happy birthday to Nicola as well. I don't know you, but hope you have a great day. I think the two of you would be great friends. Sure. That sounds good. All right, let's get into our first review of the week. We're going to talk about The Lovebirds. So The Lovebirds is a new kind of murder mystery romantic comedy with just a small dose of action, which, yeah, that sounds like a lot of genres, but really the only genre you need to worry about is Issa Rae and Camille Nanjiani leading a movie together. That's kind of its own genre, if you ask me. This movie is really about their dynamic, and it's about how entertained you can be by their various comedic reactions to all of these life-threatening scenarios and emotional relationship drama and so on. So The Lovebirds takes place in New Orleans, which actually I found to be a nice change of scenery. We usually get movies like this in like New York or LA, think movies like Date Night, Game Night, you know, other One Crazy Night films that feature couples and kind of perilous situations that are where they're in above their heads. But in this case, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's two people in New Orleans, which I thought was kind of cool. In fact, uh, in my review for this movie, I actually said that this is like kind of the unofficial third entry in that trilogy. If they had called it like role play night or something like that, but or costume night or something, we could talk about it. But anyway, this movie actually opens with Gibran and Leilani, played by Issa Rae and Anjani, as I said, on their very first date. And it's all love and passion. And oh my goodness, what a, what a wonderful love story. These two have found each other. It's so nice. And you know what? It really is nice to see because these are actually two people of color in an interracial relationship, which is really rare for studio comedies like this. And I thought it was pretty refreshing to see. So I was really happy to see that. Anyway, fast forward four years later, and Gibran and Leilani, they're fighting all the time. The honeymoon phase of their relationship It fizzled out a long time ago, and it looks like they are on the brink of a total breakup. They're fighting about just the pettiest things. You've seen this kind of relationship before. And just when they expected the least, their car hits a cyclist in the middle of the road. A man comes up and claims they hit a criminal, and he's actually a cop. And I don't want to give too much away about what happens and escalates from there, but short story, a murder takes place. And it very much looks like Gibran and Leilani are the murderers and they're pretty convinced they're going to be arrested so they flee the crime scene and they resolve to solve the murder themselves and along the way they stumble upon a larger crime conspiracy web which mimics a lot of other movies like eyes wide shut weirdly enough and i'll say this so i think one of the film's big weaknesses the ensemble is not as great as the two leads i don't think even though the actors are good in this movie i don't think a lot of the other characters are very interesting and compelling to watch not like game night in that sense where like there was tons of characters and side characters who were just as memorable if not more so than the leads in fact i would say that the uh the cop character in game night played by jesse plemons easily steals that movie but i would say the film's greatest weakness the biggest weakness in lovebirds is that it rarely feels like its own thing it really comes off more like a riff or just a remix of a bunch of other movies So this was directed by Michael Showalter, who directed Nanjiani in The Big Sick. That was a movie I really liked in 2017. I think you liked it as well, Will. Yeah. Yeah, We talked about it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we we both liked that movie. Yeah, we spent like like half 2017 praising it. Uh, We We really did. episodes where we talked. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like at least three or four episodes where someone was reviewing it or someone brought it up. But yeah, we yeah. definitely talked a lot about The Big Sick. And I think for good reason. That's a very good film. It left an impression for sure. And, you know, it was a longer movie. It was kind of the Judd Apatow vein. It was more involved. It was a more personal story for Nanjiani, who I believe co-wrote it, if I recall. Yeah. Whereas this movie- Oscar nominated. Yeah, Oscar nominated. So <laughs> this movie, though, it's a more traditional rom-com. It's broader- you know, even though it does in some places try to subvert the genre, we could argue not effectively. But, you know, the real question is, is this movie really effective at what it is setting out to do? And it's out right now on Netflix. You can watch it pretty easily, even though it was supposed to come out in theaters. It was going to be it was going to be at South by Southwest. And they had a canceled mm-hmm. premiere. Paramount kind of sent this over to Netflix or sold it to Netflix and with all that in mind, I'm going to say I do like this movie, but Will, what, what did you think of The Lovebirds? Um, well, I'll start with the positives, I guess, because I don't want to get too negative uh, early on. I, I do agree with you that it's very refreshing to see a film with two interracial couples and that it's, you know, it, it's very much about the race, but it's also these characters have inner lives. Like, it's not just solely about the race. It's like, you know, they're they're very present they have very lively personalities and i think the two performers do a nice job bringing those characters to the forefront um i think that's about it (laughs) as far as my compliments go um i did actually know there's one more thing Uh, i did like that it was short it was about 90 minutes long and um i i appreciate that in this age of like you said kind of apatow comedies that uh, it didn't go over two hours or it wasn't like 110 minutes or whatever. It was a pretty short and contained 90 minutes, which I appreciated. But, um, yeah, I wanted to like it because I, I really enjoyed the big sick and I like Kamel and Johnny and I haven't seen Issa Rae in too much, but I know she's very talented and she has a lot of charisma and, uh, it's clear that she's getting these big roles for a reason. And I still need to see Insecure, but I've heard that's very good. But, um, like you're saying, like this is a murder mystery film, but like all the genre elements just don't stand out to me. It just mostly just feels like it's like you said, uh, trying to mimic these other comedies we've seen recently. But unlike something like Game Night, where it did have this style and it had uh, a good sense of what it was trying to do beyond just a comedy. And it had like a striking visual style where it felt like all the other characters uh, besides our leads, you know, were playing into that genre pretty well. And it felt like those elements made it stand out even beyond the comedy being being good like i think you can appreciate that film even beyond whether or not you find the movie funny but for me this is a film where it's either the comedy works or it doesn't because there's not a whole lot of style there's not a whole lot of uh visual flair here and there's not really a lot of presence from a directorial standpoint so it's just like well do you like these characters and do you like spending time with them and ultimately my answer to that is no because <laughs> uh even though I think the performers do fine with what they're given, it's mostly just them riffing and yelling at each other, which I mean, you know, in some respects, like towards the beginning, it felt fairly authentic, but it also just felt like it was kind of trying to be like a milder version of marriage story where it's like, okay, if you want to make a movie about a, a couple kind of disintegrating in their relationship, that's fine. But it seems to be apparent that this is just trying to be a more traditional, like you said, studio comedy. And for me, most of the comedy just didn't really work. So I, I don't want to be too negative on it because I, I like the people involved, but I did not have a good time with this. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting, actually, because I, I do agree sort of with the spirit of what you said about 
you whether uh, you either like the comedy or you like the characters that means that like you like this movie and i actually said in my review of this that i think most people will probably like these characters so they'll probably like this movie and i i agree that's kind of what this comes down to we might disagree on how likely that is we can't really know but honestly i think this movie's pretty inoffensive so i don't think a lot of people are going to watch agree, it yeah. and be like mm-hmm. i hate these people like sure I think this is actually really similar to two other movies that have Issa Rae and one that has Camille Nanjiani. Issa Rae was just in the photograph. I think that is a, another movie where I really like Issa Rae. I really like Lakeith Stanfield. They're great performers. And they kind of make that movie, which is kind of a uh, iffy screenplay, kind of a generic screenplay, and they make it a lot better. And Stuber, to lesser success. I think that I really, yeah, I really like Camille Nanjiani in that movie. And I like, uh, oh, what's his name? The wrestler, Dave Dave Bautista. I like him. I think he's a, he's a fun actor as well. I don't think they're quite, they don't, I don't think they do quite as good of a job making that film any better, but I would say at least in the lovebirds, I I definitely was more entertained and I was more engaged with this couple. Uh, not just because of the, the freshness of this sort of like interracial dynamic. That's a factor, but I think it mainly is. I just think they're pretty funny. And even though the film is pretty uneven when it comes to the humor, uh, even for me, who I guess I would say this, I found this to be funnier than you did. I I just thought that their reactions, I think there was like such a good energy and there was such a good like flow to their characters. I never felt like it was trying too hard, I guess, which I suppose that could be a pretty valid criticism other people might have. Yeah, I mean, because the main thing about this film is that like it it doesn't really fluctuate as far as like what the comedy is. It's just like the, the setting changes. So it's just like. They're complaining about something, but they're in a diner or they're in this like eyes wide shut auditorium or they're at this party. And it's like, I mean, I think for me, that didn't really work. But if you do find that funny and you do like the presence, I do like them traditionally. Like I said, like, I think Issa Rae is really talented. I can see why she's becoming a bigger star. Um, I have a lot of respect for Kamel Nanjani. And I think what he did with the big sick was really strong. And I'm hoping that he has another film like that coming up. And I was hoping for that with this film since he was reuniting with Michael Showalter. But yeah, I guess just the lack of variety and then just the lack of style that was brought to it, uh, especially for a film that, you know, like like this is meant to be like an action comedy as well. And the action scenes don't really stand out at all either. There's no real visual flair given to those. Uh, and that was a similar problem that Stuber had. Um, yeah, I, I I want to praise it in some regard. Like, I, I don't want to be super negative on it because, like you said, it's a fairly inoffensive film. It's on Netflix. Um, you know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. But I don't think it's going to be a, a, a big risk if you... <laughs> Uh, enjoy it or you don't but um yeah i just i i'm really trying to grasp for straws at things that i liked or appreciate about this film and i'm mostly coming up short that that's a shame to hear because i definitely had a just a far more positive experience watching this i i guess the humor that i liked was there was like a sort of deflection that came in on gianni's character jabron has whenever they're they have to sort of like deal with what's happening he sort of deflects to like a stand-up comedian bit which yeah. is sort of intentionally on the nose and it's intentionally kind of bizarre and off-putting and stuff like that i thought worked and i think i i think what puts me over the edge with this one what kind of elevates it above like the pat like i give it a seven out of ten on the the young folks and mainly it's because i actually thought what they were fighting about was a pretty decent like commentary uh there is this sort of tension between them where you know how couples compare themselves to other people and how social media can exasperate that and i liked how this movie you know there's there's been other movies that get into this territory but this one did it in a a little bit more of an accessible way and in a way that was 
a little bit like it's not that it was subtle it just it didn't drive it home you know it or it didn't i shouldn't say drive it home it didn't like hit you over the head with it you know like it wasn't just constantly about like these flaws that these people had were under the surface like if you sort of see like it's, it doesn't dominate their entire character and making them unlikable i still liked them but i could respect that these are flaws that they have uh, and I think that they did a pretty good job of like laying out, especially in those early scenes, like Leilani has difficulty reconciling her relationship as she converses it with other people's. And Nanjiani has difficulty taking chances and, you know, being a little bit more free spirited. And that, that, I don't know, I, I thought that that came out in a way that was pretty credible. And I'm a sucker for these movies where people have to learn how to be a little bit more, um, where they, they kind of learn the lesson of like, if we can make it through all of these life or death scenarios, surely we could handle uh, a relationship hitting some snacks. And like that kind of thing, I really enjoy. It's been done much better in other movies yeah. for sure. I think right. the mo most recently, the game night is kind of the gold standard for a movie like this. And the reason I compare it is because, you know, if you really want to scratch an itch and you haven't seen game night yet, watch that immediately. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but this I think is a good, you know, a good effort. And I think that there's good stuff in here for people to enjoy, especially as we mentioned how easy it is to just catch it on Netflix. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a B minus on it. I think I would have enjoyed this in the theater as well, maybe with a crowd, but I do think it kind of works if you're watching it by yourself as well, at least for a lot of people. Unfortunately, I do have to reckon, I do have to reckon that with some of you might not be fans of this as it sounds like you're not a fan of this. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to take away from anyone's enjoyment of it, especially, like you said, it's on Netflix. It's a fairly accessible film to find, and a lot of people have already watched it. And and if they like it, I mean, more power to you, because I think, you know, there's a lot of likable people in this. I, I want everyone involved to succeed at just that this film didn't really do it for me. And it's I think that just kind of gets to, like, what, beco what becomes an issue when you review comedies is that at the end of the day, like, I mean, I can say, like, what things I felt didn't work. And like why I felt like these things and really connect with me. But, um, you know, there are a lot of comedies that aren't, you know, well made that I really enjoy just because they made me laugh. And, you know, I mean, that's that's a key to comedy is that it's very subjective and it's just you like it or you don't in a lot of cases. Uh, and, you know, there are comedy films that are better. There are more well done. There are a lot of films that this uh is evoke evokes or whatever the word is I'm trying to think is. But, um, yeah, for me, I, I was kind of surprised this was even going to be a studio film because it just already looks like a Netflix film. So I think selling it to Netflix even beyond the pandemic is was the right call. Um, yeah, it, it just didn't really do it for me, unfortunately. I, I wanted to like it, but it mostly just rang empty. And it just made me think of all the other films that were similar to it that I ultimately liked more. Uh, including, uh, it's not a comedy, but it also did remind me of last year's Queen and Slim in certain scenes, um, which I also thought was a better film. Uh, so, yeah, for me, this is a pretty low C-. minus. I, I, I was a little lower initially, but I just realized, like, you know, like it, it, like you said, it's not offensive. It, it doesn't really hurt anybody if they see it. It's just, yeah, they're like, Gary don't. It didn't work for me, but I'm glad you got something out of it, at least. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it sounds to me less that you're trying to take away people's enjoyment and more of like warn people like this isn't for everyone. You might have a similar reaction to this movie. So that's good. Good to point yeah. that out. Uh, I would say that, you know, I watched this before um, everything was going on, like with current events where. Yeah, well, uh, same here. Right. Yeah. So we watched this like before um, everything that happened. Um, with certain like Black Lives Matter protests and an unjust killing that happened. And we don't have to get into all that, but that does kind of paint this like 
the timing of this in a very strange yeah. light. So I wonder how people are going to react to this movie Same with here. that context in mm-hmm. mind. Um, we didn't, yeah, we watched it this past week. And I think most people watched it before all of this stuff started to really yeah. hit. And that's that's important to keep in mind as well. That might right. sour your experience because this, this ends up being a little bit less... Uh, th- there are certain things that happen in this movie that might sort of like brush over like the realities of like between like cops and people of color. So just putting that out there. I mean, that is a fascinating thing though, is that like if this movie had literally come out just one week late, one week later, there probably would have been a whole other discussion about this film yeah. in a way that it's just very intriguing how that stuff like that works. But um, yeah, I mean, it, I think, yeah, like you said, it's on Netflix. If you want to check it out, it's pretty accessible. It's easy to find. I hope people get more out of it than I did, but I'm glad you enjoyed it at least because I can tell a lot of people are liking it. And, you know, if you can find something that takes your mind off things and it's fun and silly and, you know, lighthearted, then then I'm glad you can get something like that out of this. All right. Well, we have another film to talk about that also was supposed to come out uh, in more theaters, I think, but is now just available on streaming. Um, so we're going to talk about this movie called The Vast of Night, which technically came out last year, pretty early last year at the Slamdance Film Festival. That's the uh, rival film festival that happens during Sundance, like pretty close by. Uh, screened at a bunch of other festivals, but Amazon Studios acquired the movie last September, and we had a theatrical release uh, slated for this past week, but I think it's just drive-in theaters uh, where people will be able to watch this. Um, outside of Amazon Prime Video, but it is available in both of those places. Uh, so let's talk about The Vast of Night. Uh, yep. I, I have not seen this movie. I was going to ask, yeah. You have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know too much about it. I know it was directed by Andrew Patterson, who I'm just not as familiar with. Um, the only person attached to this film who I am sort of familiar with is Sarah McCormick, um, who has been in a, a bunch of things. I think she's well-known for, she was in Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Um, that game show from like a decade back and uh, people saw her I think on uh, Supernatural uh, but other than that I don't know too much about her uh, but yeah so what what is this movie Will Ashton and uh, should we be checking this one out yeah so this is a sci-fi film that uh, is very evocative of like a 50s kind of style like there's very much a Twilight Zone-esque uh, deliberately so a Twilight Zone-esque uh, um, conceit for this which is basically we follow a radio DJ and a young switchboard operator named Faye who are uh, living in New Mexico. And they we just kind of mostly just see them doing their job for the most part. But there's some weird radio interference that starts to come in through their feed and they're trying to figure out what it is. And uh, as they find more and more details during this night in the 50s, they realize that uh, it might be some UFO, some extra trickier activity that is going on and that's really just the bare conceit of it it's not a super uh narratively driven film but it's a very talky film so i don't know if that's going to take some people out of it or if that's going to kind of make people think stuff like why wasn't this a podcast but um yeah for me i could see it not really working for everyone but um maybe it was just because uh, I did see us at the drive-in. Um, if you had the chance, I would definitely recommend that because um, I know the drive-in that I went to, they took a lot of precautions, uh, especially with everything going on, to make sure that everyone felt safe uh, and made sure that everyone was following the CDC uh, regulations. But, um, you know, seeing this at the drive-in was very refreshing. I don't know if that technically counts as going to the theaters again, but uh, it, it felt as close to it as I had been in several months. 
Uh, and it was just very refreshing to see a movie on the big screen again. Uh, and I think it's a good film. Like, I think our leads here are very likable. I think they have a good dynamic together uh, and they handle like these like bricks of monologues they have um, really, really well. And it's also a very style driven film, uh, especially I think you mentioned his name, but Andrew Peterson, I believe this is his first film. Um, and it's a very focused film. Like it, it doesn't really have too many settings. Uh, it just mostly revolves around our characters talking to one another and just kind of talking about these extracurricular activities that are going on uh, around them. And yeah, it just really worked for me. Um, I think it might be a little too slight for me to go like full born into the A territory, but for me, it's a very easy B+. I definitely hope people get a chance to see it in drive-ins if they have the opportunity, but if you can't, it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Uh, If it's not already, I believe it hits on Friday. So yeah, if you have a chance to check it out either way, it's well worth your time. All right, that's the vast of night. I've heard good things about this. I know a few people who checked it out, and I haven't checked yet to see if it's available to drive in near me, but it's definitely on my list at this point because I really miss the theatrical experience. The only thing that worries me about drive-in theaters, though, is going to the bathroom. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing that kind of trips me up. It's like, I guess I can't drink anything for a while, and I don't want to get dehydrated with lashes. So right. that's my only uh, concern. Because I did think about it. I was like, oh, I could bring my own snacks. I don't have to go to a concession stand. But like I also don't want to pee in a cup in my right. car. It's kind of weird. Well, um, yeah. I will say this is only 90 minutes. So <laughs> that's good. Might, that's good. You, you might be able to hold it in. So yeah. but I understand that concern. For sure. And uh, yeah, I think the last movie I saw in a drive-in theater, it's been a long time, but I remember the last movie I saw was Monsters University. Uh, The (laughs) first and only Pixar movie I've ever seen at a drive-in, and it was when it had just come out. You want to hear something really weird? Uh, 100%. You were I there also, that night? I, no, well, no, but I did see Monsters University at a drive-in as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the only Pixar movie I saw at a drive-in as well. How in the world did we... I wonder if it was the same night. Yeah. You were there, night. weren't you? <laughs> we should say, for the listeners who don't know, you and I did not know each other in 2013. Right. Yeah. Like, we, we did not know... Like We've yet to even meet in real life, so there you go. Yeah, it's a very strange coincidence. Anyway, um, so that's The Vast Night. <laughs> Let's talk about another film. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about this movie, Will. You have no idea. The Painter and the Thief. Yes, so this actually came out at Sundance, and it's one of the movies that I missed. I actually really wanted to see it, but it conflicted with something else. But I heard good things. I was like, well, you know, as soon as it hits a, a limited release, I'm there. I'm checking it out. And it didn't. Uh, instead, it's out on VOD right now, which... Uh, I do recommend you can rent it. Uh, honestly, this is one of those rentals where I really wish I had just bought it. And I think I, I would have been pretty happy with it. So that kind of gives you a sense of how, what I think of this movie already. So if you have not heard of The Painter and the Thief before listening to this, and if you like documentaries a lot, if you enjoy independent films in general, if you're pretty open-minded when it comes to movies with good reviews coming out of Sundance... I do think a lot of you listening, you should probably just go ahead and stop listening at this point to this review. Take a chance on this movie. You know, skip ahead to our next review. Go to the show notes. Look at the chapters. As always, like we have it all listed out, like where we review everything. So you can just totally skip this review and go to the next one. If you're in that camp of, I know I want to watch this, I'm going to watch it. And then come back later because I do think one of the sublime treasures of this movie, The Painter and the Thief, is discovering it on your own. Sorry, Will Ashton, I am about to talk to you about it, so sure. <laughs> you I will understand. not get to partake in that. But I still think this movie is fantastic, even if 
you know kind of the premise going in. I did not know the premise. I have avoided um, because that is that's the advice someone gave to me. It's like you should really just watch this without reading the synopsis and all of that. And I didn't. I didn't know anything about it going in. So. That's it. If you need more convincing, if you're on the fence about this movie, if you just want a little bit more detail, I will certainly provide that here with my reviews. So uh, that said, I won't give away too much for the sake of preserving what I think is really special about this documentary, which is one of the most cinematic narrative documentaries I have ever seen published within this format. And what I mean by that is that you could honestly go through this whole movie thinking in the back of your head, wait, is this like a dramatic narrative film? Are these actors? But no, like these are real people and it takes place over the course of several years. It's not the kind of documentary with talking heads or interviews or anything like that. It really plays out kind of like an indie movie that just happens to be a documentary. And I think that is pretty fascinating to see. There are other movies that have sort of done this and I think this is one of the better ones. Um, And I also think that it balances out to this becoming or this being Uh, a very powerful strength of the film. If you can overcome your doubt that this has been like this footage has been twisted or manipulated in order to fool the audience, then I think you can get fully immersed in a way that I don't tend to be this immersed in documentaries. So as the title suggests, we open this movie with a semi successful painter named Barbara living in Norway. And she just found out that her painting has been stolen from a gallery exhibit by two thieves. One of them gets caught And she actually confronts him at the trial and she says she wants to paint him. And this is all caught on camera and it's interlaced with like other documentary tricks to sort of fill in the gaps like cell phone footage and surveillance footage and uh, audio recordings of what happened, like, you know, special like drawings and sketches of the courtroom and all that sort of thing. So eventually Barbara starts to get to know this thief named Bertil and against all odds, they quickly form a deep and humanizing friendship that culminates in just the first act with a painting of Bertil that causes him to break down emotionally. On its own, I think the first act of this movie very much plays like a short film. Like part of me wondered, is this where the story ends? Like this feels like a complete short film. And in fact, I I could imagine some critics and even, you know, decent fans of the film maybe suggesting or speculating, you know, maybe the rest of the film never quite recaptures this peak of this particular bond. This is the movie at its purest and just most humanizing. But here's where I stand. I think the first act makes this film pretty good, but the second two acts make this film essential. I think as it goes on, the story evolves It takes some turns and leaps. And as you go along, the veneer of these people, the most obvious things about them, the painter and the thief, two occupations that say so much, yet so little about the people who occupy these bodies, who occupy these basic labels. All of those layers get peeled away one by one, scene by scene, with increasingly sharp emotional storytelling of the degree we just don't get enough of. Personally, I deeply enjoy when documentarians allow themselves to display their their own interpretation of their subjects without any pretense of being some objective observer with no creative input. I think it's bullshit whenever they try to come off this way. But what makes a documentary like Won't You Be My Neighbor so compelling is how involved Morgan Neville is with that production without going overboard. 
you never look at that movie and say, oh, it's really about Morgan Neville. But you know that Morgan Neville made it. You understand that no other person could have made that movie, at least that particular interpretation of the movie. And I think that's the point. And that's the case with Benjamin Ree, who's the director of this film. He allows space for us to pick apart how he interprets these people simply by the images he chooses to interlay when one person is speaking of another person's backstory or what they're dealing with in this moment. The paintings by Barbara are edited in to either support a statement she's made about herself or to deconstruct it via the viewpoint of either Bertil or of Re. And so that's what makes this film more than just a duet between Barbara and Bertil. It's really a trio with Re himself coming in there with the own, his own production of what's being viewed on screen being what he wants to say about these people. We see them through his perspective and they're seeing each other through their own perspectives. And everyone is given ample screen time to say who they are and who they want to be. And we, the audience, get to be involved as well because we get to understand them on a level much deeper than we would if this was a more generic documentary. In fact, I would call this one of the most human documentaries I've seen in the last few years. It's easily one of my favorites. It's a must watch. And it's mainly because I just think this is one of those documentaries that gets to the heart of what makes people people and how we can get past some of the hangups we have with people we consider criminals or people we think are living an idealized life. So the two extremes and the friendship that they share, it's, it's so raw and it's so personal. And you know, I could see some people, maybe they saw this in a theater, like I said before, saying, ah, this movie, it just kind of, eventually I was kind of done with it. I didn't want to, I couldn't stop watching this movie. I, I was just so ingrained with it and I felt so involved and I just think it's a tremendous success from this director. This is easily going to be a top 10 movie for me in 2020, I predict. Um, I could very, I could even see it being top five. That's possible. I hope the movie, the movie year is good enough that this would not be the top five, but it's certainly up there. Uh, if I had to pick anything apart with it, there, there are a few moments, I suppose, where it, it is a little jarring that this format, it is a little avant-garde with what it chooses to show us. And I don't think it's, it actually is like at its most excellent when it comes to uh, Benjamin Rees stamp. I think overall it's effective, but I think there are spots where people are going to, like I mentioned before, feel like this is manipulated, feel like it's kind of staged. It's kind of similar to the movie While We're Young, which narratively addresses this, where uh, the big the big conflict between these two documentarians, Adam Driver's character and the older Ben Stiller character, is that he sort of catches him like twisting this documentary to be more cinematic. I would be fascinated to see if that's what's happening here. It's hard to believe that it's not. And that'll make sense if you get a chance to see it soon, Will. But I hope you do see this soon. I think at the very least, you will. it'll be in the B territory for you. But for me, I think this is a really high A-, minus, very close to an A. Uh, easily one of my favorites of the year. So I hope you get a chance to check it out. And listeners, if you're looking for a quick watch, it's only an hour and 42 minutes. And I think it's worth every second. So definitely check out The Painter and the Thief. It's it's so much more accessible than I think 
some Sundance movies have the reputation for, at least within the documentary genre. So yeah, man, I hope people see this because it's it's one of the movies that as soon as it ended, I, again, I wanted to buy, I was like, why didn't I buy this? I wish I had known. <laughs> I've been burned a few times, unfortunately, by other movies that I've I've rented, these indie films, where I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't even rented that. So, uh, But I, I would easily consider purchasing this, purchasing this at some point. So that's Painter and the Thief. Definitely check it out. Yeah, well, I, well, for one, I thought that was a good burn. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate that. But which one? I mean, it's just like, yeah, you're like, this movie is amazing. It's great. Oh. Ten, uh, top ten of the year. Well, we'll give it a B. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that's what you will get. I'm saying that I know I could easily see you at least being in the B territory, even if you didn't right. like it as much as I did. But I would love it if you were as high as me. That would be fantastic. But I don't know. I can read. I can read between the lines. But um, no, I mean, I didn't know <laughs> about this fun. movie. Uh, I, I, I'll admit, yeah, this one slipped my radar. I didn't hear about it from Sundance, but yeah, definitely from what you're saying, I'm very, very intrigued. So, um, I thought I saw this was on Hulu, but I guess I read wrong. So I'll have to seek this one out. Awesome. Yeah. I hope you do. But, uh, is it, if it's available on Hulu, I, I, uh, I I guess that's an easy way to watch it. I don't know if it would have ads though. I would, I would hate that so much, but anyway, that's the painter and the thief. Let's go on to our last review of the week. This is a film that we have both seen. It comes in two formats. It's called To the Stars. And we'll, uh, you know, I talked about this movie last year with Sundance. Yeah. We mentioned bringing it up a few times. There are two versions of this film. One is the black and white version, which played theatrically. That's how I saw it. Um, and when I say theatrically, I mean in the festival circuit. But it came out on VOD as a color version. You can still find the black and white version now, but which, which format did you see this in? Yeah, so I know that the color version that just came out is a little bit more accessible one, but uh, Sam Samuel Goldwyn uh, Studios. Well, I forget what their studio is actually called. It was Samuel, Samuel Samuel Goldwyn Films. So close. Samuel Goldwyn Films. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, they they made the black and white version available. However, it's a little bit harder to find. You have to go to their website, and you can get it through like select indie cinemas like you know we've been talking about like virtual cinemas have been going around and you can do you can see the black and white one through that and that's what i did but i I imagine more people are going to end up seeing the color version which i haven't seen admittedly i've only seen the black and white one um but i imagine more people are going to see the color one which is definitely going to paint uh this film in a very interesting light no pun intended but um (laughs) yeah yeah uh yeah so I'm, i'm very this is a very interesting discussion for me all right uh i've talked a lot about this film i'll say real quick directed by Martha Stevens. Uh, I got to listen to a Q&A that she did last year about this film. I think she's a very fascinating director. And uh, this is from a screenplay by Shannon Bradley Colleries. It stars Kara Hayward. You might recognize her from Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, mm-hmm. Liana Liberato. She's been in a bunch of things. Uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is like Second Love and The Best of Me and a couple other things I'm I'm kind of forgetting. She's in some Hulu thing. But uh, also Malin Ackerman is in this movie. Uh, Tony Hale has kind of a small role. He's in this. Shea Wiggum, uh, Lucas Shade Zuman, Jordana Spiro. There's there's a bunch of people you'll recognize in this movie. It takes place in I believe the 1940s Oklahoma. Is it the 1940s? It, it's like it's back in the day. It's, if not the 40s, the 50s. And it is a coming of age movie about these two young women who become friends. One of them finds out a dark secret about the other. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you get into this movie in a little bit more detail since I've talked about this movie at length already. Uh, tell us about To the Stars, Will. Yeah. So like you said, uh, this is a coming of age story um, primarily centered around uh, our young kind of um, 
socially isolated uh, young woman who, uh, you know, she has a kind of a troubled home. Uh, she doesn't really have a lot of friends at school or outside of school. And uh, she mostly just keeps to herself, uh, doesn't really try to bother anyone or really try to have much of a social life because she knows that people have kind of painted this reputation for her. So she doesn't really go outside of her box. But yeah, she has like school, a she has like a bladder problem, right? Yeah. So, which Similarly, yeah, which is I thought it was like a pretty reasonable like mm -hmm. i could actually see how a person like right. her would be sort of a social outcast um despite her, obviously it's kara hayward like she's a beautiful yeah. young woman and you know it, it it sort of dances around that reality of like what sometimes when these coming of age movies are like no one would think this person is cool would they i don't know but yeah so one day she's going to school and she's getting bullied and this new girl comes to her aid and we find out that she's like the city girl who she says her dad is like this, you know, very uh, high profile photographer and that they're just kind of stopping by because he's doing some big gig for Time magazine and she gains some clout at school and she eventually kind of gets um, this other young girl, her social profile up just by association. And uh, beyond that, they also have kind of a kind of kingling, a very private one, um, outside of that where they they go to this like creek or pond area and they look out the stars and this this area has been kind of a taboo area for the school be, or for the town because uh there was an incident there where a woman supposedly uh took her life so people kind of think it's haunted so she and this other lady just they tend to uh grow and foster a friendship through this uh this very private area and uh yeah i mean i think we're going to be focusing a lot on the black and white presentation of it and as opposed to the color. And I think we'll talk about that more in a bit, but I will say as a film just beyond the like visual aspects of it, I think it's a pretty solid movie. Like I don't, the only thing that kept me from fully loving it was unfortunately the ending, which I felt like something's just got a little bit rushed as far as the narrative. Like it felt like they need yeah. to get to a point and it didn't really feel as organic and natural as I thought the other elements of the movie were, which is a shame. Cause I think, I mean, the beginning's fine. Like, it has kind of like a traditional setup, but I think the movie really thrives in the middle where we really get to see these two friends uh, becoming, you know, so close. And there is like an element of sexuality to it, but it's mostly just a female friendship that, uh, you know, feels very honest and sincere. And I think the filmmaker does a really good job of capturing that while also the performances do a really nice job of making that feel very lived in and sincere. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the film itself, like, I definitely see why she opted to make it in black and white. And I mean, it's not like this is something that's like totally out of, uh, you know, there's been a lot of other recent movies that have been black and white. For instance, we talked about Cold War. Uh, that was one from Amazon that came out yeah. uh, a year or two ago. That was one that was made in black and white. The Lighthouse, which was one of my favorite movies of last year. That one was made in black and white. Um, I don't know if I ever talked about The Eyes of My Mother, but that was a recent black and white film. Uh, and then there's also like from a few years ago, a film I actually just rewatched over the weekend, uh, Alexander Payne's Nebraska, which was nominated for Best Picture. And I think all those films, I think, really do a nice job. Like it's I don't think any of those films. Well, maybe one could argue with the the eyes of my mother, but I think most of them use the black and white for an artistic purpose. Like it's not just about evoking evoking a time period. I mean, that's part of it, but it's mostly capturing a very distinct uh, mood and tone that I think in most of those cases I think is really effective and I found it to be pretty effective here as well so the idea of making it in color I, I watched the trailer the color version just to see what it's like 
And I don't think it's necessarily bad from what I saw. It just it just feels very different. And it just feels like a little less unique and a little less singular in its presentation. And I don't know if that makes people assume that the movie is going to be worse in color. And maybe you can talk about that more. But it just felt like a very different film. So I'm curious, having knowing that you have seen it, what what becomes of the color version as opposed yeah. to the black and white one? Yeah. And, you know, just to reiterate, I, I am a fan of this movie. I think that it's, you know, it wasn't like one of my favorite movies of last year. Uh, but, you know, but it was one of my favorites of the Sundance Film Festival last year, which, you know, kind of looking at this year and last year was quite weaker by comparison. I think this this past this most recent Sundance was far stronger uh, in terms of the films, at least that I saw. And on the whole, I would say, um, although I think the exception is because uh, I didn't I didn't have a chance to see a couple of films that came out of Sundance last year that were tremendous, like The Farewell and Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, but that said, yeah. The, the color version I did watch. So I've seen both version of, versions of this. And, you know, I was telling you this when, this was like toward the end of April when it hit uh, VOD. It just, the color version, it, it paradoxically sucks all the life out of this film. It's so strange. Because you'd think with color, it would be injecting life in like more detail and just a, a brighter canvas. But instead, it sort of just reveals how generic the filmmaking is which is not a dig at uh the cinematographer andrew reed but i just do think it is designed for black and white and when you take that away it's just it's flat it's so flat and it's sad because i was watching it and i could barely get through it honestly like i don't think i even finished it and it it honestly makes it feel like a tv movie and it's this is one of those few times where I have noticed such a massive difference in quality just by the monochrome or lack thereof of a movie. I think with the black and white, you just feel so much more stifled by this environment. You understand how Iris, the main character, is really feeling. You understand how Maggie views this world as closed off and unaccepting to her lifestyle and you see the paradox i should say again the paradox of this wide open town this this place with these huge vistas and what should be a beautiful world so black and white and dull and gray and that's part of the story and when you take it away they're just they're just characters playing dress up that's what it feels like and i just think it's a shame that some people are going to watch the color version and be like "Eh, yeah whatever Whereas they could watch the color version and I think get a lot more out of it and actually get the true director's vision of how this film comes across. And I think we should say that Martha Stevens, she made this color version at the same time. And she made the, the I think it was her and the cinematographer made the artistic decision that this worked better in black and white. I just think it's a shame that they sort of went, they had to go back on that. And I'm not sure what all the details are there. But I just, I want to reiterate, I think you will probably enjoy this film much more as black and white. I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's because I had seen the black and white and I was comparing it incessantly. Maybe some people will watch it and be like, oh, I feel like you're too negative. I I could see that being the case. But yeah, if you have the choice, for sure, check this out in in the black. It adds so much more and it, it gets, it drives home what I think the screenwriter is really trying to get at. And what the director is really trying to say with these characters and just how bleak this world is, but also how beautiful it can be. Like even even a year after watching this in theaters, 
I still remember scenes like you mentioned the pond, but just the shot of Iris like laying flat on the water and how it mixes with the same, how it feels like you're looking at her floating in the sky. And it's just like moments like that that are shot so beautifully. When you watch it in color, it, it's kind of like seeing the set photo, honestly, like it robs the magic. And so I, uh, I definitely, definitely don't recommend it. And then I, I will say, I agree with you totally. This, when it comes to female friendship, this film is, is really great. It's not as good as like maybe Booksmart in terms of like that kind of storytelling, but it is a very different movie. So that's not a great comparison. Right. And yeah. yeah, the ending is pretty rushed. Uh, I was I was craving a little bit more of a drawn out resolution. Um, but it is, you know, it's 109 minutes. It's not super long, but, you know, it could have used maybe an extra 10 to 15 minutes to really round out a story. But that's all I got to say about To the Stars. Yeah, I mean, the main reason I brought up Nebraska, because that's a similar thing happened where I think when they were making it, they Alexander Payne did have a color version to appease like, the producers and I believe that came out on FX. Like, it's kind of hard to find. I was trying to look for it to just to like, compare. I couldn't really see it. But I know when that came out, he was just like, look, like, you can see the color version if you want. Like, you know, we made it. Like, I, I gave my approval on it or whatever. But I made the movie in black and white for a reason. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just like, yeah, like, you can you can see it in that way if you want. But my vision was in the black and white. And I think that's, I think what I find so fascinating about this division is that, like, we've seen other examples like it backwards. Like, we've seen Parasite in black and white. Or like Mad Max Fury Road was named black and white or like they're all versions, I mean. And then like I've heard like something like The Mist, which came out a little while ago, but like that was made in color. And then they released a black and white version. And apparently the black and white version is better than the theatrical one. So like there's little things like that. But I think more often than not, like, like you said, like for me, like the black and white version, it was very much not only about capturing a very vivid uh, picturesque quality, but it was also about capturing the viewpoint of its protagonist and just capturing something that was uh, that felt like what how the character saw her surroundings and how she felt about her very humble kind of quaint uh, living area. And so, yeah, I mean, when you take a movie and you do something where it's like meant to be this one way and then you're, you're showing it in a totally different way, it just yeah, it, 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 it doesn't take entirely it doesn't entirely take away of what made the movie work, but does I can see rob the movie of what was so unique about it originally and what what took away and taking away from what was so dynamic that first time and like like you said i can't really imagine it in color and that's why i've been avoiding the color version just because i can't really see it in that way i mean i'm sure i can like i can watch it but it just doesn't really seem the same it just feels like a very different film and not for the better so um as for the film itself um the black and white one i gave it a high b minus i was really close to a b it just that ending just took away a little bit just i thought it took away from what i was really enjoying about the middle of the movie but i would definitely recommend the black and white version if you can find it yeah i'm i'm still like a pretty pretty high actually i i think i give it like a pretty low b plus but yeah it's like it's in that territory i think this is a pretty good watch but i don't even know what i would create the color version i don't even want to that's just depressing um yeah so that's to the stars uh it's another decent indie i think worth renting and it's pretty accessible at this point. I would just say, yeah, if you can find the black and white version, please do. All right. Yep. That will do it for all of our reviews this week. And that'll do it for the, the John and Will cut, which sure. I got to I, I gotta tell you, well, not as good. Right. You yeah, know? I, like, I, yeah. I thought Jane Levy did such a better job describing right. to the stars. Like she was able to really get at the heart of that female friendship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about it that felt more authentic. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what we envisioned the, sh- the show to be was not ultimately what it was. And uh, hmm. rather than reckon with that, I think I'm just going to go on Twitter and complain. Right. You know, we could just sort of like move on and mm-hmm. look forward to other creative endeavors that yeah. really, you know, could surprise us. But instead, I'm good with just being let down by more things that I think I want. So Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's go to Twitter and complain then. Yeah. On that note, see you next week. Uh, from the Internet California, I'm John Agruni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.